Hey y'all, this is Stacy Pearsall, and you're listening to Everything, my podcast where I talk about, well, everything. Hey everybody, welcome back to Everything. This is episode number 14, a carryover, part four of part, Andy's story. Part four? Part four. Wow, it's a lot. It's, it's becoming a... Uh, uh, Andy autobiography of podcasts, apparently. You asked for this. I did. And, you know, you've asked if we should abbreviate it or abridge it, and I don't think so. I think your story's very interesting. Well, I haven't heard a lot of feedback, so maybe we'll just speed through this. Um, so, everybody, if you haven't given feedback for Andy, please visit everythingstacy.com and let us know what you think of Andy, his story, and, and perhaps ask a few questions. What do you want to know? From what we've already discussed. Right. And should we talk about why your energy level is so low right now? Well, I'm trying to hold down my groceries. <laughs> your lunch. I made lunch and I tried a, a new chicken and it did not sit well with my stomach. So I'm very green in the gills right now. It wasn't the chicken. It was, it the, was the sauce. The, the sauce chicken. we added to the chicken. Yeah. Well, we. Well, <laughs> and, um, let's reiterate the fact that you don't cook. So I do not cook. My job is to do the dishes and eat. I think mainly, I, I've not been feeling well. I've been under the weather for the last few days. I've had kind of a head cold, which has left my stomach irritable already. And then the sauce that went on the chicken was super spicy. But it did say medium. It said medium spicy, but it felt really, really hot. Yes, it definitely had a different type of spice. Yeah. And to clarify, your head cold is not COVID. No. Okay. I don't have the vid. Right. So you say. So I say. Okay. At, at any rate, I've been self-isolating out here on the farm anyway. It doesn't really matter. I, the only person I would expose is you. And Charlie and Pickles and all the horses and donkeys. Yes. Well, we're all out here together. Yes, we are. Okay. Okay. Well, we, last week we left off with your first deployment to Iraq. Yes. I think we should kind of pick up there. I have been thinking about the last time we talked about your story. And I was wondering, did you ever fire... Your sidearm downrange? Did I ever fire any of my weapons? Yes. I never had to fire my weapons. Were you ever documenting a, a firefight? Did I ever document? Yes, I, I documented activities. <laughs> That's very cagey. <laughs> uh, can you describe the first time you, as a combat photographer, were exposed to like frontline combat and what that was like for you? Well, the first time was in uh, Haiti when I was with the Marines. We were chasing um, someone down our street, and all of a sudden there was exchange of gunfire. Mm -hmm. So um, that was my first experience with it. And that, and then we were just, I don't even think we had body armor or anything. It was just our um, sidearms. Um, but in Iraq, it's, you know, we were all suited up. We were, it was a different experience then. How so? I mean, it was like every day you were expecting. I mean, when they tell you the reason you're patrolling the streets is because you're bait to get the bad guys to come out and shoot at you, that just changes the scenario. Like, you expect to get shot at or blown up or something during that day. Mm -hmm. Right. And I didn't realize it at first. I'm like, you know, the guy kind of looked at me and goes, you know why we're doing this, right? And I'm like, well, we're looking for blah, blah, blah. And he goes, no, we're bait. 
we're drawing out the bad guys. I was like, oh, that's that's really good. Okay. Good to know. <clears throat> good to know. Yeah. So you remember the first time uh, you were in a firefight? Well, not you particularly, but documenting one right. was Haiti. Ironically, not Bosnia in the three times you went? No, I mean, the first time was always air. So we were doing cargo airlifts. Um, now, when we were the gunships, AC-130 gunships, I forget what base out of Italy, in the, the southern base, we'd fly over Bosnia. And those they were engaging targets, but we're at whatever altitude. So it wasn't like in your face. Can you describe for the listeners what exactly is the AC gunship and what the purpose of it is? So now you're going to make us go to episode five and six. But yes, so the AC-130 gunship is a modified C-130 cargo plane. Mm-hmm. And they put this big 105 howitzer in the rear. And they you, have, honey, they don't know what a 105 is unless they've been in the military. Can you elaborate? So we use Google. Anyways, oh. it's, a, it's a big 105. Is the size, it's a millimeter. It's the size of the round in the back of the aircraft. It's a big gun that sticks out the back. Answer anything with any perspective because you haven't been away from it to know if there's any challenges. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you don't know you're going to have a problem walking down the grocery store with the grocery aisle until you go down the grocery aisle and like, wow, there's 20 different styles of cereal. And I only need one box of cereal. And that's, I mean, they depict that in a lot of movies, but it's a, it's a true scenario because when you're in Iraq, you got a box of cereal and that's it. You don't get a lot of choices and everything's done for you. And I think my first, um, when we got to Rawa, myself and uh, Fisher, we went through the, uh, it was a, what do they call those chow halls where they, it's not a facility, but it's like a truck. Mm-hmm. And we walk up there and they slap three um, um, meatballs on the plate and said, there you go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's it? That's it. That's what you get for lunch today. So it's just, um, you know, when you come back to America, you don't know what you're going to have problems with until you're back home. Well, you did get back home. What was the first thing that you ate? Typically, like, I know that we have our go-tos that we think about all the time when we're on deployment. Was there anything that you were craving that you couldn't get? Um, no, I mean, it's, like I said, it was it's hard to remember. Because in Iraq, where we were at so far, like most of us, meals were whatever you would get. But when we went into Baghdad, where our headquarters was, they had a full-on spread, right? I mean, they had, you get burgers, you get steak, you could have, they had surf and turf one night. They had a quintet band playing for you. And I'm just thinking, how surreal is this? Like, there are men and women out there in the battle space not getting anything to eat. Yet, here at the headquarters, it's full on. They had an NFL room, an NBA room, a hockey room, all these sport rooms on the side. And I was like, so bizarre. Did you feel almost guilty going to the dining facility where it... Because I believe, like downrange, obviously those who were who were bringing the fight to the enemy, oftentimes didn't have a lot. Oh, yeah, As you didn't. said, they get three meatballs if you're lucky, or you get right. an MRE. Right. Did you feel a sense of guilt when you were the closer you were to the flagpole, the grander things seemed to be? Well, the closer to the flagpole, it always sucks because you have constantly saluting. But no, I mean, you just you, I was like, okay, I'm just going to eat this and get out of here because this is weird. Yeah. And then they had the biggest assortment of desserts, like Baskin Robbins must have camped out. <laughs> and they had all the pies and cakes. It was just so weird for that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 
also, okay, above and beyond the food, Mm -hmm. the closer you are to the flagpole, obviously, the more rigorous they enforce the rules. As you said, you modified your uniform and because... Oh, yeah. What the military thinks is, you know, works fundamentally, doesn't always do so when you're actually in country operating. Right. However, officers tend to want to enforce those rules. Did you ever get called on the carpet for... Not the first time. So we had the deserts. There was the last deployment for us to wear the desert uniforms. And at this time, the Army was already in their ACUs. Okay, so that's desert combat uniform, right. that sort of tan and khaki and brown right. mix. Not the chocolate chip that they wore in the first one, but right. the desert. And we were, so we were already looking different than the Army counterparts that we were trying to hang out with and document. Um, so I basically just modified the pockets. I have pockets on my arms because your pockets on your body are being covered by all your armor. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'll just take those off and put on my arms. And we had Velcro so we could have all of our stuff identified. And I would just wear that. I didn't really, I was like, if you want to yell at me, just send me home, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, on my second trip, I did get yelled at because we were in the Army um, combat uniform. And in the Air Force on our flights, we always wore a flag on the left. Mm -hmm. Well, the Army, they wore it on the right. Mm -hmm. So I wore it on the left. And I had some major chase me outside of one of the big command posts and just, like, try to rip me up and down. An Army major? An Army major. And I looked at him and I said, sir? It says U.S. Air Force on this name tape. I'm wearing a U.S. Air Force flag. And I just turned around and walked away. <laughs> now my video partner was like, why are you doing that? I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Goes, you know that's not. I'm like, dude, whatever. It's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard when the reality of, of war you've, you've seen and you've documented every day and then to have somebody right, nitpick chase. over you, chase you down and nitpick over something like a flag. Right. Yeah. And I understand his perspective because we were wearing their uniform, but I was going to wear my stuff the way I would wear it. Oh, you're such a rebel. <laughs> yes. Hardly. Okay. After you get back from Iraq, I think you made Master Sergeant and right. then had some training, probably did a couple of other TDYs, but let's stick to the meat and potatoes. I know that in between my returning home from Syracuse, you coming home from Iraq, you and I got married. We got married in 06, yep. And our unit did try to do a good job of keeping married spouses within the unit on deployments at the same time instead of leapfrogging if that's what they wanted. Right. You and I were set to deploy um, a little later in the year in 2007, but I had a friend who was a reservist in mm-hmm. California and was getting ready to deploy in that, to Iraq earlier in the year. Right. That first rotation, actually, in 2007. Summertime, I think, versus the fall. Now, I know what I remember in terms of pre-deployment. Can you tell me what you remember? So you get a phone call from your partner that you met at a different deployment and say, hey, I'm going to go to Iraq. Do you want to be my partner? Like, we're going to go camping. It was my perspective. And I was like, I just got back. And um, I'm all about doing it, and I did it, but I was all about when my deployments were set in stone. Because I just, um, at the, I was feeling like I don't want to push my luck, getting blown up, and all that other stuff I've witnessed. Um, yeah, so I had to go in there and say I'd rather go early with my wife. 
Were you mad at me? No, I mean, it, it, no, it's all good. You don't have to lie. <laughs> I see your face. You don't have to lie to me to make me feel better. I, no, because, I mean, hindsight always better. And I'm, I think about all the stuff that wouldn't have happened if none of us went on that deployment. But that's not the way it was. I did, well, none of it would have happened to us. Right. But, but not, I mean, that's the thing. You can't go back in time. But if we weren't there, a lot of things could have changed. And that's why I don't like second guessing it. It's just, we did it and it's over. Yeah. Well, walk me through that deployment. What was that experience for you? So we, you know, we did all of our uh, training and we had to get our gear, which is a lot of stuff. But this time we had to go through um, Kuwait to do whatever training there on site. Some army training. Right, before we go downrange. And I remember um, we all were in this huge tent, men and women coexisting. Quatson hut, and um, which we thought was fine because we're all adults, you know. Okay, so making a fair point here, it was men and women in the Quonset hut, all combat camera that was about to be forward deployed together. Right. It wasn't. Yeah, and it was, um, you know, our captain was cool that we were all cool with it. Everyone on the team was cool with it, and then we ran across our colonel from another base that was in charge of us in the theater he was our adcon commander and he was like this isn't cool you guys can't be coexisting like this (laughs) and i was like whatever dude and he was like i'm the one that can give you an article 15 and when a guy says Uh, that or a girl says that you know they're just they're just not cool was this the same guy that told you he wouldn't send you for a conjugal visit? Right. So when you were uh, injured and was flown into Baghdad and I was a uh, warrior again, he was. the message was, I'm not flying down there, down there just for a conjugal. Not about loss my ever-living mind. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Beep. Right. Well, let's, let's back up because this is the very start. And obviously he's not getting off to a, a, the right no, foot with you. Not a very good first impression. Right. So we were in this big place. I remember um, your video partner. Staff Sergeant Katie Robinson. Right. Great lady. She had this uh, this footlocker. Mm-hmm. And inside the footlocker was, she. she's a really talented artist amongst being a great photographer and videographer. And she brought all her, like, drawing stuff. And she had this, like, special light for vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, and... I get it. Not you know, this was my second trip downrange, so I knew what to pack and what not to pack. I knew better, like don't bring all your aircrew gear, all that nonsense. Like this is a ground job, minimal space, right? Mm-hmm. So I look, kind of looked at her and I looked at you. I was like, you know what to expect, but she didn't. And then, um, well, this was her first combat deployment, right, right. and um, yours and my second. second, yeah, right. So you know that was kind of that was interesting, and then. Um, we we did our training and then we forward deployed into Baghdad, and I think we were supposed to like find out where we were getting chalked off to and then fly out respectively whenever those like over the course came. of a week or two weeks, right? Or right or whatever. But like you, we were all at dinner and they come in and like Pearsall Robinson, you guys are leaving in like blah 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 hours. I remember feeling so incredibly stunned because I thought I had more time. Right. I mean, you literally had to pack it. You were flying out that night on a Chinook. Yeah. Right. So that was like, and from what we remember, what I remember is the location you were going to is what, what was at the time 
quiet. Yeah. A quiet. Yeah. I mean, quiet perspectively, considering all the other combat was going on. So everyone was like, you know, and then it turned out to be the hottest, most casualty place in Iraq. Yes. Yes. They made a movie about it, or they're working on it. Right. And I went back to my my location. I was with uh, James Monk, another E7, and another um, photographer. Do you remember saying goodbye to me that night? I think so. Didn't I? Uh, Yes. I remember throwing all of my chem gear and all the excess crap that you have to take in country with you, but you don't really need. I remember throwing that in storage. It was really dark. You were there. And I remember thinking in the back of my mind, I think something happens when you deploy, you begin to sort of disconnect from your friends and and even your family to an extent Mm -hmm. to push away those um, distractions. And something strange was happening to me in that moment because on my previous deployment, I was single. I, you know, I really was not leaving a whole lot behind, but this separation process was taking place in country in that moment. And I remember looking at you and not wanting to say goodbye and, and, ho- and wishing I had more time. And at the same time thinking, I got to go. Right. Anyway, um, I didn't anticipate that, for one, that would be the, the last time I'd see you until after um, Katie, Katie or, was shot, actually. Right. Yeah, when Kit, yeah, that's right. When Katie was shot, they brought her back down to Baghdad for treatment, and then that's when I came up there with a video replacement. Yep. Right. That's right. Yeah, we went on a op together. Yes, we did. So you asked me, "What do you want to do while you're here?" I'm like, "Well, let's go on a mission." Yeah, so that's what, exactly <laughs> what I wanted to do. So, well, no, you asked me. You were gonna. I think you were already slated for that mission. I was. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Yeah, I'll go." So we were in the same Humvee on the way out, but on different ones on the way back, maybe? or in the, I can't remember now. All I remember is the captain not being too happy because when it came, however the report system comes down, they found out and leadership was freaking out. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I guess for me, I was already kind of succumbing to the the that transformation that happens that you just accept death as part of what you're doing. So I'd rather be dead with you. Right. Well, <laughs> then, right. Because it doesn't matter if you're on a mission or in the fob, if it ha because I remember when, uh, James and I were at war horse and we would, you know, they had transportation throughout the base of like a shuttle bus. And I remember getting off the shuttle bus to go to the dark side, which they called the army side for brief for missions. And as we're getting off the shuttle bus, incoming rockets are coming in. And you just hear the, the whistle mm-hmm. of them coming in, and you're like, where are they? And then you like get on the ground, and it detonates around you, and you're running to cover. So it doesn't matter if you're on a mission or in your chew or, or wherever. If, it, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Right. So I just remember them getting upset. But that was the mission where I discovered that your 7200, your Nikon lens, was dented. And meaning dented is it had a crush. Like, Okay, hold on. Let's, for those of you non-photographic types who like to listen to this podcast, mm-hmm. 
A 70 to 200 is a longer lens. It covers the range of 70 millimeters to 200 millimeters. And it's a great go-to lens if you want to reach out and touch somebody. But because I had been working up close and personal with the Army, I rarely ever used it. I typically had a a wide lens on and a a medium lens. So So Andy comes to Fob Warhorse, where I'm at, my AOR. I'm already slated to go on the op. As Andy said, he... I asked him if he wants to go with me, and he said, sure. Yeah, so I had minimal. I had two bodies, but I didn't have a long piece of glass with me because I was trying to, um, because I knew I was going to be in and out. I didn't want to bring a lot of gear. So you get it out of your shooter's vest, and you give it to me, and I put it on my camera, (laughs) and it all seemed fine. I go up to my face, and I'm trying to zoom the lens out. It will focus, but it wouldn't zoom. Uh Uh-huh. And I looked at it, and I was like, "It's, it's got a big dent in it. Yeah. So you had, in a previous mission, we're in a tank, Yep. And when the tank fired, the actuation or whatever, it pushed up against you. But since you had your body armor on, you didn't feel it. You didn't nope. feel the pressure. Nope. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I crushed a lens with a tank. I wouldn't say I crushed it. I dented the lens with a tank. And I think we still have that somewhere. That lens is on display oh, at right. the Veterans Memorial, National Veterans Memorial and Museum in Columbus, Ohio, if you want to go see it. Yep. Go down to the lower level, and you will see it right there under a beautiful <laughs> spotlight, all dented in its glory. But it's still, it was pretty neat that it would still function. It just wouldn't, um, it wouldn't zoom. Yeah. And technically, I ruined a lot of gear on that deployment, but that one took a really pretty, pretty good hit. Well, it's rough. I mean, the desert's just, no matter what you do to protect your equipment, it's going to get sand inside of it, regardless. Yeah. Well, Katie and I fly off to Warhorse. Right. She unfortunately gets shot six weeks into that deployment. You come and deliver a my replacement video partner. Right. We go on a mission together. We both get in a little hot water for doing that. And then you fly back to your fob and what happens then? What I don't know. What happens? I don't know. I wasn't with you. Oh, I just um Yeah, so James and I would go we would fly from our fob, which was Fob Warrior, up to Fob McHenry. And this is like one of the shittiest places. I mean, they're all pretty bad, but, you know, as far as, like, amenities and whatever, I mean, there were soldiers at Warrior, and we could go on missions and Strikers and Tanks and Bradleys. I'm like, we would be covering the, the same combat. But this FOB was even further out. Uh, route Trans Am was the nearest route, and it was, like, the most heavily IED'd route. I mean, they had a the, the, um, the bad guys buried a 50-gallon barrel of, explosive and split a tank in half in this area so basically the the, the major looked at me and goes you're the ice cream and i was like i'm the ice cream he goes yeah they don't have anything out there so you're the ice cream baghdad has ice cream they're going to get you you're the ice cream so we were basically there to you know cover the war but honestly you know we would give images back to the troops that day right so you could see turning their sucky day into like, oh, wow, this is some cool photography you guys did today and video from our, you know, from James. So I, I thought that was pretty neat how they um, looked at our footage as important. Do you feel, with all of what your mission is as a combat photographer, do you feel that the ability to be a morale booster for soldiers in such an austere place was the best part of your job? Well, it was definitely rewarding, and then, you know, after you do that enough, they would be like, hey, Dunaway, we're going to go, we're going to do this mission tomorrow. 
So because at the very beginning, you're always trying to prove yourself. You basically knock on all the doors to all the different companies and platoons and say, hey, this is what we can do. This is who we are. And they're like, we don't really care. You don't, you know, you're not an infantryman. You can't do whatever. So you had to really prove yourself. And after a while, they just like, um, after you show what you can do, they're like, oh, yeah, we want you on every mission. Mm-hmm. And, then, <clears throat> and then it becomes there's not enough of you, right? Like you just can't be everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Well, you are my favorite ice cream. <laughs> so, okay, everybody, we are at time. And if you want to hear more about my ice cream, tune in next week for a little bit more of Andy. I hope you have a really, really great week. I'm Stacy, and... I'm Andy. Be well. Be well.